0: We're going to be continuing uh, a series that we started with several weeks ago, and our series is called Called Out. So that's the title of our series, and we began uh, with uh, looking at a text, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus talks about his church uh, and uh, his um, intention to build it himself. In fact, in speaking to Peter, he says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell itself will not prevail Against it. And in doing so, he introduced a term that we've been kind of reminding ourselves of, but he used a Greek term there, or it was translated into the Greek there. Uh, ekklesia is the word, and the word is very distinct, and it means to be a called-out community of people. It was individuals that were called out of a greater populace into a select community for a specific type of. Of thing, And uh, Jesus uses that word to indicate what his church was going to be. And so that began our starting point with uh, considering what is the church uh, as far as you and I and what we're a part of uh, and, and how are we to both be that and how are we to do that within the world. And so we've been kind of going back and forth between discovering who we are in Christ and then considering how we can align that to the way that we live our lives in response to that. And some of the kind of the uh, uh, progressions we've been talking about or some of the frames that we've been introducing is the idea of discovering uh, how to be in Christ so that we can do our lives out of that identity. The idea of identity informing the activity of our life and then considering the way that we as individuals are called into a community to together express that and be a part of that. But it begins with this idea of identity and then moves towards this idea of activity. Uh, when I was 17 years old, uh, the summer between my junior and senior, high, uh, senior year of high school, uh, I missed my first family vacation ever. Up until that point, every time my family went on vacation, I went in tow, me and my three little brothers, and we were uh, a, a part of that. Um, and so every family vacation I was a part of, up until that point, and I don't know what your family vacations were like. Uh, ours, we were a road trip family, uh, and so you know maybe it wasn't such a great thing to have to, uh, to go on uh, to begin with. But it was the first vacation that I missed was between my junior and senior year of high school, and it was for a very, very specific reason. Uh, going into my senior year of high school as we were beginning to do our uh, summer workouts and as we were beginning to go into mini camps and things like that uh, my team voted me as a team captain my coach came to me and said hey you're going to be a captain in this next year just wanted to make sure that you knew that and at that designation uh, as, as soon as that designation was made i felt a different type of responsibility to my team I felt a different weight of responsibility to what was going on. And suddenly, the 6 a.m. workouts in the wake room didn't seem uh, as, uh, uh, you know, um, selective. It, it felt more mandatory. And nobody said that. Nobody said you have to be there at all of the things. But because I was now designated as a captain and I had kind of this responsibility within the team, I took it upon myself to begin to prioritize everything that we had to do for the team. One, to, to give my best and to give my all, and two, to set an example for the rest of the team about the type of culture and work ethic that we wanted. And so my family's vacation was already planned, but we had seven on seven workouts during that time. And I chose to forego the family vacation to have to go and do preseason workout stuff. But it was because there was something spoken about my identity in the team now that was gonna be reflected in a new way of me doing Uh, My my activity within the team and those things became prioritized even though the rest of my teammates They weren't showing up at six o'clock, right? There was a there was a small group of us that were dedicated to lifting that summer There was a small group that were making mini camp and making the effort to be at every Afternoon workout and the things that were being provided. It was a small and select group everybody else. It was optional But for me, because there was a new identity spoken over me and the way that I was supposed to be interacting with the team, I took upon myself a different type of attitude towards those things. And that is a good picture of what it would look like for you and I to be convinced of our identity in Christ and have it influence now the way that we begin to prioritize the way that we live our lives. That as we become secure in who I am in Christ, even as we sing it today, I am chosen right that I'm set apart in fact those are things that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 1 a couple weeks ago as we began our study that in Christ we are so many things we are already secure we are placed and we are prioritized there and we are poised to be a part of the things of the kingdom of God in this world and so because of that if we were truly convinced of that it would be easier for us to begin to align the way that we live our lives to see those truths lived out and so we begin to be Uh, different because of what Jesus has done for us and in us, and now we begin to do different as we live that life out in alignment with that. And as we began the series, we were looking at the way that Jesus was calling a new community. Again, using that term ecclesia, and to call us uh, certainly as individuals, and you make a decision to follow Christ, but you are called to be a part of this family together. And what's interesting to me is though we're called to be different because of what Jesus has done, and then to live differently in light of that fact, a lot of our experience is not that. Uh, In fact, our experience with the people of God is not always a positive one, uh, and we seem to remember those interactions in keen detail and in greater frequency. I don't know if you've found that To be true, and through the years as a pastor here at Sterling Foursquare, I've been really honest that my deepest hurts, uh, the biggest challenges I've had to overcome with relationships with people, the places where I've been more deeply disappointed or wounded in my life, have all been at the hands of followers of Jesus, or have all been the result of the activity of church and that's primarily cuz I grew up in the church and so most of my experience was wrapped around that but it was still something that involved people and there is a great frequency in our lives where we live and act and interact with one another out of alignment with who we are in Jesus and it causes kind of it causes problems it kind it wounds and offense and difficulties for us And then our experience can be on the other side, and I'm not sure if you have been here, but this has been one that I have been in frequently in years of ministry, where my activity and my interactions with people uh, have been uh, misunderstood uh, or have been misinterpreted. And there's a a fracture and a misalignment that happens in those places. And so uh, our experience, our experience a lot of times is, is not the way that God intends our experience to be with people. Uh, and with the church in particular, but God does have a different intention for his church, for us to have an identity in Christ that is aligned with the activity and the way that we uh, move within the world, and that through that, we introduce people to the person and the love and the power of God. And as we take a look at Ephesians chapter three this morning, we're gonna see how Paul begins to shift and focus on that intent. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible app, and we're going to take a moment to prepare our hearts to hear from the Lord today. So Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to hear from you. Lord, as we are encouraged and even at times challenged by your word that there would be a faith that rises in us and a leading of your spirit, uh, Lord, to just to respond with a yes in our hearts. Lord, for hearts that need to be convinced today of who they are in you, I pray that you would open their eyes and that they would see themselves through your lens as you look at them through Jesus. And Lord, for places in our lives where we need to be challenged to take steps of faith to align the activity of our life, Lord, would you give us that courage and that conviction to follow that through in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to turn our attention back to the book of Ephesians. Again, we began this series with the Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus starts talking about the ecclesia. And then we've shifted our focus over the last several weeks to the book of Ephesians, because it's a very practical letter, personal letter, that the Apostle writes back, uh, the Apostle Paul, excuse me, writes back to the church in Ephesus. And the first several chapters primarily focus on who the church is supposed to be In Christ, and then the latter chapters begin to look at the doing or the activity and the way that they're supposed to go about being that in the world. And here as we get to chapter three, Paul begins to make a shift in his letter from those two things. He begins to move from the first couple of chapters that we spent the last two weeks on, talking about this is who you are in Christ. This is what is true of you. This is what is secure about your identity. This is the the beautiful workmanship you are in God's hands and the good works that he's aligning you to do. All of those types of things that are being reaffirmed. And then he begins to move into the latter chapters where he starts talking to them about how to live differently than the world because can we all agree that the way that we should be living our lives should be in contrast to the way that the world suggests things to be done and so Paul begins to get there but before he makes that transition before he makes that transition he builds a bridge he builds a bridge in this chapter between who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be it and he builds that bridge through prayer and intercession and focusing on making this turn from being to doing, from identity to activity, and from the individual to the community. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to begin. And in chapter 3, verse 1, as he begins this section. We're going to read just a short phrase and we're going to pause there. But he begins this next section in his letter with this phrase. For this reason, over here on another idea, even Paul did that. And so we should, right? So if I give a list of things that uh, I want to celebrate, interact with your spouse, the way that you carry yourself in the workplace, the way that you exercise, again, all of that language that we try to use to somehow qualify us as a father available in Christ, If you go back to those previous chapters, because you have already been the being to what it looks like for the collective to be drawn together and to begin to do. If you're an underliner, if you're a note taker, I would just kinda highlight this because this correlates back to that was gonna be undisputed and it would be recognized in the church. Just a lot of the opposite things to still be true of us. And so he goes through painstaking account in chapter one, chapter two, to just demonstrate his person and his love and his power in the world. It's easier for us to separate and to think that God's design for me in Christ is just God's manifold wisdom. That the, the church is supposed to somehow put on display or represent. Giving that type of, of, of highlight and that type of admin to somehow be the ambassadors of God in the world. And there are examples and you don't need Pastor Ben to tell you that. The idea of church hurt or disappointment in followers of Jesus, and if you've been in the church for any amount of time, then you, the two letters that Paul sent to that church, if you've ever been a part of a church that just seemed like a dumpster fire, it does not do humanity together in this sense of being a new people or a new called out chapter. He pauses to draw our attention to the fact that we are called to be a part of a new community that specifically for a couple of things, that I believe are meant to help us off, that there is a need for us to know and to lean into the person and work of Jesus in order to practically walk this out. The church is full of people with good intentions, with misaligned activity. We've all been in that place. We all wrestle with that. And so Paul pauses here and focuses on prayer pauses here and intercedes on their behalf praying specifically for the church in Ephesus and, and and applicably for that but more than that he's praying for the church not just is but the church that was to be and in that we're gonna see three ways that you and I can kind of attend to aligning the way that we're living our life with the new life that we have in in Jesus. And so we're going to pick up in uh, chapter three, verse 16, as Paul comes back from his wandering, right? Verse 12, or excuse me, verse one, he says, for this reason, and then he goes on his wandering tangent. Verse 14, if you're looking in your scripture, he comes back and says, for this reason, it's kind of like saying, wait, hold on, I'm back on track now. And then he moves on from there in verse 16, and he says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. As Paul begins this se- session, he starts talking about kneeling before the Father and praying for the whole family. The second part of that, verse 14, is, is language around that. Verse 15, talking about praying uh, about the whole collective community of God, both in heaven and on earth. And then he prays specifically for this, that they would be strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And that word dwell is a really, really important word uh, because it has to do with kind of a lasting presence, uh, a, a, a lasting or a staying type of equality. When, when we use words like this, this idea of dwelling somewhere or coming in, uh, sometimes it can be used as a word where you come into a place and you're there for a little bit and you leave again, uh, almost as if you're transient or you're walking through. But the word that's being used here in the Greek is one that would be more permanent. In fact, you could uh, properly translate this word as well as being to have Christ make his home in your heart. That idea that uh, so that Christ may make his home in your heart. The sense of having a constant awareness of the presence of Jesus. And one of the first things that we can do to begin to attend the way that we are living our life with who we are in Christ is to make a daily invitation for Jesus to come and make his home in our heart, and at times that idea is something that people will push back on, right? Because if, if God is actually God, then he is omnipresent. That would be one of his characteristics. It would mean that God is everywhere. In fact, uh, when you read scripture, the, the understanding of who God is and where he is, the psalmist would say, where can I go from your presence? And as he writes out the psalm, it's up, down, and all around, and the answer is nowhere. Like, I can't, I can't get out of your presence. And that's a very uh, real expression and understanding of who God is. God is present, right? And so there's a way that he doesn't need your invitation. He's already there. But have you ever been in a room with somebody where you were present, but they acted like you weren't? Husbands and wives, have you ever been in a room with somebody and they acted like you weren't? Like, we've been in that place. In fact, if you've gone on any traveling with me, you would know that that's my preferred mode of travel, Right, I will board the plane or the bus and I will sit down and I'll put in my earbuds and guess what, nobody else exists at that point. It's possible to be around people but to not be present with them and it's an important distinction to understand that Paul's prayer for the church, Paul's prayer for you is not that you would just be cognitively aware that Jesus is there in some like ethereal, mystical sense but that he would dwell in your hearts, that you would be constant and you would be present with him, that there would be this, this living alongside, almost like this cohabitation type of language is what Paul is using here, drawing us to this place where his prayer for not just the individual, but the prayer for the body of Christ, the community of believers, is that they would be aware of the presence of Jesus, that that would be a constant for them. And I think that he begins with this, because if I'm aware of the presence of Jesus in my life, I am usually more attentive to the activity of my life. Is that not true? When I'm aware of Jesus' presence, I am reminded of the truths that are true of me because of what he's done, and then I begin to walk that out and to live that out because I'm reminded of that truth. It's oftentimes when I'm not thinking about Jesus being present in my life, when I'm not connected, when I'm not interacting with him, that old Ben shows up, right? The old creation, the old man. Instead of responding in a Christ-like way to a situation, I will react in the flesh. And I know that that's not something that is just reserved for me. And so Paul, before he bridges this idea, before he carries his letter on to start talking to the church about how to do church well and how to be the church well in the world, he reminds them of the only way to really get there is to know who you are in Jesus and then to have Jesus be the bridge that gets you to the activity. And it's a prayer, it's a petition. In fact, the language that Paul uses here as a descriptor is it says that he's on his knees before God crying out for this to be true of the church. I find great comfort in knowing that before I was in my struggle, the Apostle Paul was already praying for me. Certainly not by name, but as part of the church to come, already contending for a move of God in your life. He moves on from there, verse 18, and he begins this section again by saying this phrase, and I pray. So there's two places where he focuses on specific prayer points. The first one is that we would know the presence of Jesus, and the second moves into this. And I pray that you, and I want to pause right there uh, and just draw your attention to this uh, This um, Uh, this is usually the case. When you and I read scripture and you come across a portion of scripture that is directed towards the audience and the word you is used, how do you usually read that? Almost always individually. You're going to think about yourself, right? Which is why when the church is being called out and it's like you stink and you're like, yeah, I do stink. And it may apply to you, but we heap the whole thing all on ourselves as if we're the only one. And then we slink off in isolation and feel like we're the only one who's disconnected from the Lord. Like When Paul is writing to the church, the you that he's using there is you. It's it's all of us. He's speaking to the collective here. And so as he moves to this, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, yes, it's you and you and you. It certainly has to be applied to the individual for it to be consistent within the whole. But the heart's cry, the contention here, the interceding that Paul is doing is for the universal church, that you would know these things to be true, that you would experience these these things. And so I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love with surpassing knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He begins with this idea of praying and contending that they would be aware of the presence of Jesus in their lives. And then he moves from that in contending that they would know that they would know that they would know his love. That he would know his love. And can I tell you, leaning into the love of Jesus is a great way to move from knowing who you are in Christ and being super secure in that, even though there's misalignments and idiosyncrasies in your person, even though there's parts of you that are still walking through processes of sanctification, and certainly there's places that you fall short and you're less than you should have been. Yes, absolutely. But when I am convinced of who I am in Jesus and I lean into his love, I am more likely to go out and to respond in the activity of my life accordingly. Because I'm reminded of his great love. And what's so important here is in this passage and in and, and many of the passages in scripture where the word know is used, K-N-O-W, that idea of knowledge, that word is not primarily cognitive. It's not just a thought that you agree with the word know both in the hebrew that is most often used when it talks about knowing god and in the greek where it talks often about knowing god or knowing jesus or knowing the spirit of god most often that word is not simply cognitive but it is experiential you could almost take the word out and say that you would experience that you would experience that you would experience that you would experience experience this love that surpasses knowledge That you would not just know of it, but that you would have lived it. That you don't just know of it, that you would have lived it. And one of the things that I find uh, particularly true is the difference between those who know of God's love and those who have experienced God's love in the way that they live their life in response to that. Most people who only know of God's love, they agree with it, it's cognitive, they know of it. They live their life not in confidence, they live unsure, and they're in constant fear that they're gonna fall short. They live under a condemnation and a fear of God that's not a fear of reverent awe, but is an actual fear. And those who know the love of Jesus... Those who know the love of God, who have experienced it, live in more often an incredible vitality and freedom and a confidence and faith-filled, spirit-led activity of their life. Why? Because they can securely bridge the identity that they know to be true of themselves in Jesus with the way that they live their life because they have experienced his love, and they get to walk in a consistent expression of that. Many commentators would focus really heavily on this portion of scripture in chapter three, and they would draw us to this conclusion. If you really know Jesus, you will experience his love, and if you really experience the love of Jesus, you will really know him. They will bridge those two things and wed them together as being something that are mutually connected. And so Paul gives us those two ideas. Those are his two prayer focuses. I don't know if you've ever thought about what you needed to be prayed for. If you would have gone to Apostle Paul at this time and said, hey, I'm from the future church and we're pretty messed up, right? He'd be like, hey, I've already prayed for you and here's what I'm praying. That you would be aware of the presence of Jesus in your heart and that you would experience his love. And that will build the bridge between your identity and the way that you live your life. And he moves from there, from not a prayer, but really a declaration of blessing. A declaration of who God is and what he does as a result of that. And as he closes this section, Paul moves to verse 20 and says this, now to him, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. I want to draw your attention to the phrase that he uses in verse 21. It's, uh, it's peculiar to me because I feel like you could just dump it and leave it out and it would still be a pretty powerful verse Right? To him who is able to do immeasurably more, more than you can imagine, according to his power. To him be glory in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That's how you would almost expect it to be read. But Paul has already drawn our attention to the fact that God's design is to express himself through his people. That God's design is that he would make himself known, not just through natural creation and not just through miraculous wonders, but through broken everyday people like you and I, a collective of vagabonds who have been redeemed and restored and brought together, given a new creation and given a new spirit. And now they get to live differently in this world. He's drawn our attention to that. And as he closes out this section and he makes this declaration that Jesus is able to do more than you could even imagine or think, He reminds us that the purpose of that, the purpose of that movement in the world is that God would be glorified not just in Christ, but that God would be glorified in the church. That God would be glorified in the church. And again, the places where you and I have experienced church hurt, the places where the church has had a poor reputation in church history or in a local community, all of those things are caused by a misalignment in the way that we are living, or way life is being lived, and the way that we truly are in Jesus. And so Paul's, Paul's concern here, and in many of his letters, it's a primary focus. It's to bring the church together in unity and to draw them back to their identity in Jesus. Because if we can start there and stay there, we can live there with more consistency. And out of this section, those three ways that you and I can just begin to align how I'm living with who I am in Jesus, he encourages us to be aware of the presence of Jesus in our lives. He encourages us to lean into the love of Jesus. And then this last one, I just, I wanna speak to this. He leads with this declaration a faithful declaration. Jesus is more than able. To him who is more than able, and I want to pause there for a second. Because it's likely represented in the room, there are lives or portions of lives that are in shambles. That there are very real challenges and difficulties that you're facing, in your health and in your relationships, in your own spiritual formation, the experiences of your life, that there's grief, that there's loss, that there's injustice, that there's uncertainty in your future and that there's betrayal in your past, that there's very real disappointments and even hurt at the hands of the church or of Christ followers. There may be things that are in front of you that seem as if they will always be there. There may be addictions that are a part of your life that you believe that you will never overcome. Hurdles that you will never pass and mountains that will never move. Jesus is able. Jesus is able. And not just like mildly competent not that you know Jesus on his best day might just have enough to help you or to save you or to restore you or to set you free he is more than able not only to contend with the things in your life that are difficulties and challenges and that are roadblocks between you and him But he's able to do more than you could even ask him to do on your behalf. Immeasurably more. Let me encourage you with something this morning before we close. Pray big prayers. Let let me say that again. Pray big prayers. Pray impossible prayers. Do you know that Jesus can do more than that? More than what you would be hesitant to even put before him because of how impossible it seems to be. How audacious that would be for you to present that before the Lord. He couldn't possibly do that or care about that. He can do more. He can do more. And when we begin to live our lives in this way, when I begin to live my life in a way where I am cognizant of the presence of Jesus, where He is making His home in my heart, and where I'm leaning into His love in a way that I'm not just thinking about it, oh, I read about that, Pastor. No, like I'm living that out. I've experienced it for myself. And then I begin to walk in a confidence in my daily living, in my daily interactions with people, that Jesus is more than able. That he's more than able to help me navigate a hostile work environment. He's more than able for me to have to walk through kind of a, a difficulty in my physical body. That he's more than able for me to have to walk through and to walk with me to overcome my addiction or the consequences that I'm presently dealing with for my past, that he is more than able for all of that. All of a sudden I begin to live my life in a way where I look like everybody thinks the church is supposed to look where I begin to live in a way that is aligned with who I am in Jesus. And I think that Paul had seen places in the church where that was true. It certainly at times was the story of Ephesus. It's certainly times where you see it expressed in the book of Acts. But there's an opportunity for for you and I to walk in that, knowing that we have already been made new in Christ, and now we can live new as a result of that. Church family, if you would stand, worship team, if you would come forward. As the worship team comes forward, I'm going to encourage you to entertain just a few questions this morning. If you want to close your eyes as a way of closing out distractions, that might be helpful. But I just want you to consider this in a very, very practical, simple way. How would you live your life differently this week if you carried yourself as a representative of Jesus? If you went out today and you reminded yourself of the presence of Jesus in your life and the love that you've received and his ability to do on your behalf, And knowing that who you are in Christ needs to be aligned with the way that you live, like what simple practical step could you take? How would you begin to live differently? That might be just something as simple as not complaining at work. That might be something as faith-filled as contending in prayer. may be something personal it might be something practical it might be something for the benefit of others but what would it look like to do that to take a simple step to say I'm going to go live in a way that is aligned with who I am in Christ and as a result people are going to see Jesus by the way I live this week You've thought about that for a moment for yourself and now I want you to take a step back and I want you to consider this question. What do you think would happen to the reputation of Jesus in this community if we all did that together this week? If just some random person in Sterling who's disappointed in the church, feels disconnected from God and is living without hope, bumped into each one of us as we lived in that way? What do you think would happen in them? How do you think the Spirit of God could awaken hope in them, open their eyes to the need? What answers could we be? Lord, there's times in our lives, for many of us frequently, that we're living out of alignment with who we've been created to be in Christ. And most often it's not out of an intention on our part, or it's not a desire to live broken, but it's so easy to slide back into those old patterns, to fall into those old ruts. Lord, I pray that today, very simply for my friends here, that you would remind them, Jesus, that you are constant and present. that they are loved and that you are able. And Lord, in those little reminders this week, help us to take small steps of faith that begin to align our doing with our being, that we would be the called out community of Christ followers and that we would be your hands and feet in this community. In Jesus' name. Amen. A few action steps for you this week. Very, very simple things you can consider. You can circle back around and catch these on Facebook or online or snap a picture of them right now. Number one, invite Jesus to dwell in your heart this week. Just make that invitation. Make yourself aware of that. Number two, lean into his love for you. And then number three, as you receive that love, look to be a conduit of that. Distribute that to others. Look to love one another in the same way.